بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ولا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Once again we gather for the commentary of for the study and the commentary of the hadith of Hudaybiyah from Sahih al-Bukhari. For those who are studying from the original Sahih of Imam Bukhari, the hadith number is 2731. And for those who are following in the abridged version of Sahih al-Bukhari, the abridgment of Imam Zainuddin al-Zabidi, known, rahimahullah, known as At-Tajreed al-Sarih, لأحاديث الجامع الصحيح then the number is 1192 today is the 8th part of our reading and my commentary so let's begin وبالسند المتصل مني إلى الإمام البخاري رحمه الله قال and I relate with an uninterrupted chain from me to الإمام البخاري رحمه الله who relates with his chain from Miswar ibn Makhramah radiyallahu an and Marwan ibn al-Hakam who both relate from a number of senior companions radiyallahu anhum. They relate the long and famous hadith of Hudaybiyah, the treaty of Hudaybiyah and the events that unfolded on that journey and on that occasion. Now, we are towards the end of the hadith, and we've covered a lot in detail. In short, the Prophet ﷺ departed from the holy city of Medina in the beginning of the month of Dhul Qa'dah, in the sixth year of Hijrah, with the intention of performing Umrah in the company of 1,500 companions, radiyallahu anhum, approximately. They camped a short distance from Medina at Dhul Hulayfa, where the Prophet and many of the companions entered into the sacred state of Ihram, and they drove their sacrificial animals along with them. <coughs> And there were 70 large animals. They proceeded on that journey. Many events took place on the journey. And eventually they arrived near Mecca and camped at a place called Hudaybiyah, 
which is a few miles away from Mecca, to the west of Mecca. Again, many events unfolded there, culminating in the truce of Hudaybiyah, which we all of these things have covered in detail. Following the agreement and the truce of Hudaybiyah, the Prophet وسلم, and the companions broke their ihram and embarked on their return journey to Medina. On the return journey, other events unfolded too, including uh, a miraculous event. Again, all of this I've discussed. This is where we concluded last week. So the final words were, فَلَمَّا رَأَوْ ذَلِكَ قَامُوا so when they, the companions, radiyallahu anhum, saw this, i.e. the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's own becoming halal from his ihram and his shaving or having his head shaved and his sacrificing his animals, when they saw this, they also rose and they slaughtered their animals. And some of them, and they began shaving each other's heads. Until some of them were close to slaying the others in sorrow. And this is a reference to the extreme sorrow and grief of the companions. And in that sorrow and grief, when they were shaving one another's heads. Of course, they had no such intention or inclination, and nor, nor did they do anything which suggested this. But the severity and the ferocity with, and the harshness with which they were shaving one another's heads seemed, and the narrator says this in a dramatic manner, that they were almost close to killing one another uh, out of their ferocious shaving and this was a result of their extreme sorrow and grief which uh, whose reasons I've explained last week this is where we ended now moving on to the final part of the hadith the narrators say <clears throat> then believing women came to him the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam ta'ala so allah the exalted Revealed the following verse: Ya ayuhaladina amanu ida ja akumul mu'minatu muhajiratin fumtihinuhun. Ila qawli, sorry, hatta balag, until he reached the words bi'isamin kawafir. Now, before I continue, the narrators have now made, well, the hadith, the, the narration of the hadith here has now made a sudden jump from the Conclusion of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, at Hudaybiyah, to the Prophet ﷺ now being once again settled in Medina. So the words, Then believing women came to him, i.e. the Prophet ﷺ returned from Hudaybiyah to Medina, Settled there, and how long was his journey? How long was his stay in Hudaybiyah? It appears that the Prophet ﷺ departed from Medina at the beginning of Dhul Qa'dah, and he made his way to Mecca. He camped at Hudaybiyah. 
it seems as though the entire journey from beginning till end took approximately six weeks. So a number of days there, eight to ten days there, approximately eight to ten days back. And the intervening period was a period for which they were camped at Hudaybiyah. It was quite an extensive period. So in total, we're talking about 45 days, one and a half months, six weeks. Now, when the Prophet ﷺ returned, he returned in the middle of Dhul Hijjah. And Prophet ﷺ settled and he resumed his normal life in Medina. But now he was in a new climate, in the climate of the Truce of Hudaybiyah. So after the Truce of Hudaybiyah, many things happened. And one of the things that happened was that some ladies from Makkatul Mukarramah emigrated from Mecca to Medina. Remember, men and women had always attempted the perilous journey of Hijrah from Mecca to Medina from the time of Hijrah. So when the Prophet ﷺ emigrated, there were approximately 80 to 100 companions عنهم, who had already emigrated to Medina. After the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ, there were a few individuals who continued to risk this hazardous journey. Men as well as women. And there's that famous story of Umm Salama herself. We spoke of her last week. She was one of the women of Islam who undertook that perilous journey. And along with her child... And yet the child was taken away from her, she was obstructed, she was forced to go back to Mecca, separated from her husband and from the child. And she suffered a lot in the name, uh, and for this, in the name of Islam, for the sake of Allah. So I spoke about Umm Salama radiallahu anha partially last week. And apart from her, there were many other women who, and men who attempted that journey. But there, it was a trickle. Now, this is why the Quraysh, in the truce of Hudaybiyah, they demand, they insisted, because they could not prevent anyone, they insisted that anyone who leaves Mecca and joins you in Medina, you are under an obligation to return them to, the, to Mecca, but not vice versa. We are under an obligation to return anyone who comes to us. Despite that agreement, even after the truce of Hudaybiyah, Many attempted to flee Mecca and join the Prophet ﷺ. Some of them were women. So this is what the narrator refers to. So So some believing women came to him, i.e. in Medina. So Allah the Exalted revealed and then these verses of the Qur'an. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا جَاءَكُمُ الْمُؤْمِنَاتُ مُهَاجِرَاتٍ فَمْتَحِنُوهُمْ It's only a partial, ver- the partial verse mentioned here. حَتَّى بَلَغْ Until he reached, meaning the Qur'an or Allah or the reciter, بِعِصَمِ الْكَوَافِرِ 
So what the, what the Hadith says, it only mentions the beginning of the verse and two words from towards the end of the verse. But the full verse is, it's a verse of Surah Al-Muntahina, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, idha jaakum al-mu'minatu muhajiratin, famtahinuhun. Allahu a'lamu bi-imanihin. فَإِنْ عَلِمْتُمُهُنَّ مُؤْمِنَاتٍ فَلَا تَرْجِعُوهُنَّ إِلَى الْكُفَّارِ لَا هُنَّ حِلٌّ لَهُمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحِلُّونَ لَهُمْ وَآتُوهُمْ مَا أَنْفَقُوا وَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذَا آتَيْتُمُهُنَّ أُجُورَهُنَّ وَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ أَنْ تَنْكِحُوهُنَّ إِذَا آتَيْتُمُهُنَّ أُجُورَهُنَّ وَلَا تُمْسِكُوا بِعِصَمِ الْكَوَافِرِ وَاسْأَلُوا مَا أَنْفَقْتُمْ وَلْيَسْأَلُوا مَا أَنْفَقُوا ذَلِكُمْ حُكْمُ اللَّهِ يَحْكُمُ بَيْنَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ That's a full verse. But the, in the hadith, the full verse is not mentioned. Only the beginning is mentioned. And then two words from towards the end of the verse. So let me translate the verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O believers. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Ida ja'akum al-mu'minat. When believing women come to you, muhajirat, as emigrants, famtahinuhun, then examine them, interrogate them. Allahu a'lamu bi-imanihin. Allah is more knowing of their faith. Fa'in alimtumuhun mu'minat. Then if you do know of them and find them to be believing women, فَلَا تَرْجِعُهُنَّ إِلَى الْكُفَّارِ Then do not return them to the unbelievers. لَا هُنَّ حِلُّ لَهُمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحِلُّونَ لَهُمْ They, i.e. the women, the believing women, they are not lawful for them. وَلَا هُمْ And nor are they, i.e. the unbelieving men, يَحِلُّونَ لَهُمْ Lawful for the believing women. وَآتُوهُمْ مَا أَنْفَقُوا And give them, i.e. the unbelieving men, what they have spent. وَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ أَن تَنْكِحُوهُمْ and, and before that, and ask them, what you have spent, and they should ask you what they have spent. That actually, that's in another verse. Here is just وَأَتُوهُمَا أَنْفَقُوا وَلَا Give them what they have spent. وَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ And it is not a sin on you. أَن تَنْكِحُوهُمْ Oh, there is no harm for you. There is no restriction for you that you marry them as long as you have given them their dowry. And then Allah says, وَلَا تُمْسِكُوا بِعِسَمِ الْكَوَافِرِ And do not hold on to the ties of the unbelieving women. That's where the hadith says, till the verse reaches. But the verse continues, but the reference is only given till that word. And then Allah says, not in another verse, in the same verse, That you should ask them for what you have spent, and they should ask you for what they have spent. This is the law of Allah, with which he judges between you, and Allah is all-knowing, all-wise. Now, that's the verse. It's quite complicated if you just look at the verse, the words, and the translation. 
what it refers to is that some of the women who travelled from Mecca to Medina, they fled their husbands as well. And you have to remember that until the revelation of this verse, marriages between the pagans and the Muslims were permissible. So, till the sixth year of Hijrah, you had husbands who were pagans, but their wives were believers. And vice versa, you had women who were believing women. But their husbands were pagans, and you had believing men whose wives were still unbelievers and pagans. Pagans and mushrikeen. And sometimes what happened is, someone's wife may have embraced earlier or later, and then decided to emigrate to Medina after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. So when they emigrated, whether she was married and therefore the believing wife of a pagan husband, If that was the case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed laws in this verse about the arrangements that were to be made regarding the dowry paid by the pagan husbands. It's quite complicated, so I won't go into that, but that's what the verse refers to when when Allah says at the beginning of the verse, and give them what they have spent. And later when he says, And you ask them, of what you have spent, and they should ask you of what they have spent. The meaning of spent what they have spent and compensating them for this is that if a believing woman leaves her unbelieving husband from Mecca and emigrates to Medina, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what you should do is at least give him back his dowry that he paid the wife. That's the reference. In fact, the Prophet Wasallam's daughter, Zainab, anha, she was his eldest daughter. Her husband was Abu Al-As ibn Rabi'ah. And he was actually still a pagan. And even though Zainab, radiyallahu anha, emigrated with the Prophet Wasallam, meaning shortly after him, because he sent back for his family. She emigrated, and she was a believer, the Prophet's daughter, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But her husband, who was the nephew of Ummul Mu'mineen Khadija, radiyallahu anha, and therefore her first cousin, from her mother's side, he was her first cousin, and he was her husband, but he remained an unbeliever. In the Battle of Badr, remarkably, he actually fought with the pagans. And he was captured. And when he was captured and taken back to Medina, the Prophet ﷺ decreed that ransom, a ransom should be paid for those uh, prisoners and they could then be freed. 
and taken back to Mecca. So family members, clans, they arrange for the ransom of their family members. So Abu al-As ibn al-Rabi' being the husband of Zainab radiallahu anha, she arranged for his ransom. And she sent a necklace that was given to her by her mother Khadija radiallahu anha. So when the Prophet was supervising everything and the necklace was presented in his, in his presence, as soon as he saw the necklace, he was overcome with emotion. Since he instantly recognized the necklace, that this is a necklace of my, uh, of, um, of my wife, Umm al-Mu'mineen Khadija, well Khadija radiallahu anha, and she upon she had given it to Zainab, or Zainab had received it, and now Zainab bint Zainab bint Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is pay is giving that same necklace as a ransom for her husband, who was actually a prisoner amongst the pagans of the Quraysh in Badr, but the ransom was paid, and then he was allowed to go back. Many years later. Now he remained a disbeliever, remarkably, all the way till the eighth year of Hijrah. And then he came to Medina, and he was reunited with Zainab bint Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So I just give that as an example of the permissibility of non-believing men and believing women being married to each other in those days, we're talking about pagans, the mushrikeen, until the sixth year of Hijrah, until the revelation of these verses. Now, if I can elaborate on the verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا جَاءَكُمُ الْمُؤْمِنَاتُ مُهَاجِرَاتُ O believers, when the believing women come to you as emigrants, فَمْتَحِنُوهُنْ then interrogate them. This is why I said in the hadith of Hijrah and in my talk on the sincerity of intention on another occasion, that why is the hadith of sincerity of intention, the hadith of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu with which Imam Bukhari begins his book, and which is to be found in the beginning of many books, and it's a famous hadith about sincerity of intention, that the Prophet Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu anhu says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ That deeds are only by intentions. وَإِنَّمَا لِمْرَئِ إِمَّا نَوَى In one narration, وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرَئِ إِمَّا نَوَى And for each man is only what he has intended. فَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ So whoever's hijrah, is to Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then his hijrah, his emigration, is indeed only to Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. وَمَنْ كَانَتْ هِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى دُنْيَا يُصِيبُهَا أَوْ إِمْرَأَةٍ يَنْكِحُهَا فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى مَا هَاجَرَ إِلَيْهِ And whoever's hijrah, emigration, is to the world that he seeks to acquire, or to a woman that he seeks to marry, then his hijrah is only to that to which he has emigrated. 
Now, why mention hijrah in the context of a sincerity of intention? And I've explained before on both occasions that this is a supreme example because until the conquest of Mecca, the greatest deed for the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, for those residing in Mecca, was to do hijrah. For them, the greatest deed wasn't to pray salah in al-Masjid al-Haram. Even though they were still living there. For them, the greatest deed was to go and join the Messenger wasallam and to do hijrah. And yet it wasn't easy. To do hijrah meant leaving Mecca secretly in those years, from the first year of hijrah till the eighth. Leaving Mecca secretly, with the fear of being chased, of being pursued. And if caught, brought back in chains and shackles to Mecca, imprisoned, tortured, possibly killed. So there was that danger. The other danger was, sometimes men alone, sometimes women alone, would travel all the way from Mecca, through that baking desert in the heat of Arabia, all alone, Allahu Akbar, braving all those dangers, not for a few hours, but for possible 10 days of rapid journey, and more if need be, even up to two weeks or longer. And in doing so, they would leave behind their husbands, Sometimes their children, their parents, their family members. They would renounce their clans, their families. They would renounce their citizenship of Mecca. They would renounce all protection of their families and clans. And imagine a woman doing that. And then when she would arrive in Medina, what was the fate to befall her? Allah says... O believers, when women come to you, believing women come to you as emigrants, from tahinuhum, then interrogate them. Now, none of, although the verse addresses all of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, and it says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O believers, when believing women come to you, i.e. collectively, to all of you, as emigrants, then interrogate them. Again, the imperative is collective. From all of you interrogate them. Although that's the wording, no one ever used to carry out this questioning with the exception of Rasulullah wasallam. Only he would question. And subhanAllah, what was his questioning? A woman has just travelled through the desert, risking everything, sometimes alone, fleeing her family, Makkah, with the fear of being pursued. And we're now talking about the period after the truce of Hudaybiyah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when they come to you, interrogate them. So what was the interrogation of the Prophet sallallahu He used to say to them, have you emigrated from Mecca for any worldly reason, for any dunya? Have No. Have you emigrated because of a disagreement with your husband? No. Have you emigrated in order to acquire wealth? 
No. Have you emigrated with the intention of marrying a man here in Medina? No. And then the final question would be, have you emigrated only out of the love of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam? And their answer would be yes. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would accept their bay'ah, their pledge. Now Allah says when they come, question them, interrogate them. But the only one to interrogate them would be the Prophet ﷺ. And these were his questions. And they were sincere. How sincere were they? Allah says immediately in the verse, فَمْتَحِنُوهُنْ Interrogate them. Allahu a'lamu bi'imanihin. Allah is more knowing of their iman. Now imagine... This was their level of sincerity and their sacrifice. And still, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, they have to be careful even in their intention of hijrah. This is why the hadith of the sincerity of intention is tied up with hijrah. Because it's a supreme example. So how sincere should we be? How regularly? Should we check and review our intention and scrutinize it to ensure that it is solely for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? If believing women underwent such difficulties and then eventual interrogation, despite all the sacrifices they made, all the dangers they braved, and despite Allah declaring that Allahu a'lamu bi imanihin, Allah is well aware of that in iman, Allah knows more of their iman. Still Allah says, as far as you are concerned, interrogate them. Their sincerity still had to be checked by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And all of the believing women were sincere when they emigrated. Now, once they had emigrated, what happened? The question here was, by virtue of the treaty, just as happened with Abu Jandal, the son of Suhail ibn Amr, as we learned, Anyone who emigrated from Mecca to Medina had to be returned. So this is exactly what happened. Now, one of the the first women to actually do hijrah from Mecca, others did it too, but the first woman to do hijrah was Umm Kulthum bint Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayyid. Umm Kulthum, the daughter of Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. She did hijrah. But she was a virgin. She wasn't married. She embraced Islam not just before Hudaybiyah, but sometime before, in the early days. She embraced Islam. And even though all of her brothers were non-Muslim at the time, her brothers were non-Muslim. She was alone, a single believer in her household. She embraced Islam as a young virgin, a young woman who had never been married from one of the most, from one of the noblest clans of the Quraysh, families of the Quraysh. She emigrated from Mecca alone. And she traveled all the way to Medina. Her brothers came after her. And when she reached Medina, her brothers caught up with her. They then came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, as per 
our agreement in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, return our sister to us. Now the Prophet ﷺ was under an obligation because he had agreed to that article of the treaty. It was then that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses of the Holy Qur'an, these verses. Doing what? Of Surah Al-Muntahina. Of abrogating that article of the treaty only in respect of women. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, revealed the verse, O believers, ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, idha ja'akumun mu'minat, when believing women come to you, muhajirat, as emigrating women, fumtahinuhun, then interrogate them, Allahu a'lamu bi imanihin, Allah is more knowing of their iman, fa'in alimtumuhunna mu'minat, then if you know of them as being believing women, فَلَا تَرْجِعُهُنَّ إِلَى الْكُفَّارِ Do not return them to the unbelievers. لَا هُنَّ حِلٌّ لَهُمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحِلُّونَ لَهُمْ Neither are these believing women halal for them, lawful for them, and nor are they lawful for them. So, Umm Kulthum radiyallahu anha, she says that Allah revealed these verses after my emigration from Mecca to Medina. And through my emigration and other women who followed her, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala abrogated that article of the treaty, but only in respect of women. It remained valid for the men. But only for the women, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, do not return them because of their vulnerability. And even though her own brothers came to collect her, their sacrifice was remarkable. And the iman and the faith of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and even the women folk. I've always said it's remarkable, I've mentioned this on so many occasions, that the enemies of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his daughters, their daughters, and their sons and their family members, and even their wives, eventually all embraced Islam. Abu Sufyan, he was the leader of the pagans in Mecca. His daughter, Ramla, radiyallahu anha, also known as Umm Habiba, radiyallahu anha, she was one of the earliest Muslims who actually emigrated from Mecca to Habasha, to Abyssinia. And she was married to one of her cousins, and in fact the cousin brother of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the brother of Zainab bin Tujahsh, radiyallahu anha, she, he, she was married to Ubaidullah ibn Jahsh, who unfortunately passed away in Habasha. After him, the Prophet ﷺ proposed to her, and she married the Prophet ﷺ. So Abu Sufyan was the leader of the enemy in Mecca, and his daughter was the wife of the Prophet ﷺ. Huyay ibn Akhtab, the leader of one of the three main Jewish tribes of Medina, of Banu Nadir. He was the leader of Banu Nadir. And he plotted and schemed against Prophet ﷺ. When they were banished from Medina, he went to live in Khaybar. That's where many of them went, Khaybar. An oasis about 90 miles to the north of Medina. 
Then he continued to plot and scheme from Khaybar. He was instrumental in the campaign of Tabuk in rousing the Quraysh against the Muslims and in forging alliances and raising an alliance against the Muslims in the campaign of Hudaybiyah in the fifth year of Hijrah. He was instrumental in that. And that's why he came back to Medina and he was in the enemy camp. Eventually, his own daughter, two years after his death, he died in the, after the battle of Hudaybiyah in the siege of Banu Quraidah. And two years later, in the seventh year of Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ married his daughter, Safiya radiallahu anha, Safiya bint Huyay ibn Akhtar. Abu Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the leader of the hypocrites in Medina, his wife and his daughters and sons eventually, one of his sons was famous to be a sincere believer, but eventually even his wife and the rest of his household all embraced Islam even though he was a leader of the munafiqeen in Medina, the hypocrites. And who was this Umm Kulthum? The daughter of Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. He was one of the chieftains of the Quraysh. And do you know which chieftain? I hinted last week, but we didn't have time and I left it. But who was Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt? You may recall the story related by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu says one day I went to the haram and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was praying salah and Abu Jahl and the others it's a hadith of Bukhari as well as other books they were all seated near the Kaaba when Abu Jahl loudly exclaimed that there is Muhammad rubbing his nose on the ground which one of you will rise? He dared, he dared the, his companions. Which one of you will rise and go and fetch the placenta and the afterbirth, the amniotic sac of the she-camel that has just given birth in that family today, in the neighborhood? So the Ashqahum, the most terrible and evil ones, one amongst them stood up went to the household in that neighborhood, fetched the afterbirth of the she-camel, brought it, and when the Prophet ﷺ fell in sujood, he threw the whole bag of filth, which was very heavy, over the back of Rasulullah ﷺ in salah. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu says that, I was standing there observing this, but I had no help I had no strength, I had no power to prevent this. And then the Prophet ﷺ was weighed down by the weight of this afterbirth and amniotic sac. No one dared to come and help him because of the power of the Quraysh in those early days of Mecca. Fatima radiallahu anha, the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, she was extremely young. As a child, she, someone went and informed her, the household, she came out running. And she was the one who pushed the 
amniotic sac off the back of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and then she stood there abusing Abu Jahl and his companions. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam rose and then drew near the Kaaba and raising his noble hands, he prayed against them. When he prayed, that's when their faces fell. Otherwise, before that, when that happened, they were all laughing, jostling, nudging one another, pointing to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and falling over each other in laughter. And then he prayed, Allahumma alayk, O oh Allah, seize Utbah, Shay Rabi'ah, Shaybat ibn Rabi'ah, Abu Jahl Amr ibn Hisham, and Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. And then Abdullah ibn Masood radiallahu anhu says that their faces fell. Their faces fell. Why? Because they knew that he was praying in the vicinity of the Kaaba. And they never doubted his truthfulness or his honesty, ever. And they were scared. They were genuinely scared. So, Utbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt, not only was he one of the group there, but he was the Ashqa, he was the evil, terrible one who went and fetched the sack. He was the evil one who threw it onto the back of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. On another occasion, that was Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. On another occasion, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was praying salah in al-Masjid al-Haram. And what happened? Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt came. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in sajdah sujood. And this Uqbah, he placed his foot on the neck of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he pressed down on the neck of Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam whilst he was in sajda. It's mentioned in one of the narrations that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said later that I felt as though my eyes were about to pop out. That's the force with which he pressed down on Uqbat ibn Abi, on the neck of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That was Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. But that's the father. But the miracle of Islam the miracle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that his virgin unmarried daughter living in his house with the family, with her brothers, he was such a staunch enemy. And yet Islam crept into the house, into her heart. And she embraced. And not just embraced, she took the risk of doing hijrah all alone from Mecca to Medina. Her unbelieving brothers came after her, pursued her, arrived in Medina, demanded that she be returned. Allah revealed these verses and the Prophet ﷺ refused to return her. But two years later, at the time of the conquest of Mecca, her brothers also all embraced Islam. So that was Umm Kulthum, the daughter of Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayyid. And it was because of her that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse. So the article of the treaty about returning people back to Medina was now narrowed. And the part applicable to women was abrogated. So only men had to still be returned, but not women by the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's something that the Quraysh accepted, they understood. And they accepted, they did not create a fuss about that. They were grumbling and complaining and moaning, but eventually they didn't do anything. So 
That's the meaning of these first two lines. Hatta balagh, and the narrator says, until the verse reaches, or Allah reaches, بِعْسَمِ kawafir, And I've read the verse and translated it for you. فَطَلَّقُ عُمَرُ يَوْمَئِذِ مْرَأَتَيْنِ كَانَتَا لَهُ فِي الشِّرْكِ so after the revelation of this verse, the hadith says, So Umar radiallahu he divorced two of his wives who were still with him from the time of paganism. Meaning, he was a believer, Umar radiallahu but he had two wives in Mecca who were still unbelievers. And that was Umar radiallahu And they hadn't done hijrah yet, they hadn't embraced so after the revelation of these verses in the sixth year of Hijrah, Umar radiallahu anh then divorced them because Allah says, لا حل لهم ولا هم يحلون لهم They are unlawful for one another. فتزوج إحداهما معاوية بن أبي سفيان So one of them, Mu'awiyah ibn Abi Sufyan married her, والأخرى Safwan ibn Umayyah, and the other Safwan ibn Umayyah married her. So these two were still uh, some of the younger chieftains of the Quraysh. Mu'awiyah, his father was Abu Sufyan, he was one of the elder ones, he was one of the elderly chieftains, and Mu'awiyah was one of the younger chieftains. And Safwan ibn Umayyah, he was the son of Umayyah ibn Khalaf, who had died in the battle of Badr. And uh, Safwan was one of the younger ones, but he was again regarded as a rich, wealthy, noble chieftain of the Quraysh, but one of the younger ones. So these two were still unbelievers at the time. But eventually, even these two embraced, Safwan ibn Umayyah and Mu'awiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, as we know. But because they were still unbelievers, each of them married one of the divorcees of Umar ibn al-Khattab, and he divorced two of his wives. Safwan ibn Umayyah married one, Mu'awiyah ibn Abi Sufyan married one, and that's what the hadith says. ثُمَّ رُجَعَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ Then the Prophet ﷺ returned to Medina. Now, as I said, the hadith earlier on made a sudden jump. So these two lines which I've just discussed, they are actually after the Prophet ﷺ returned to Medina. Then something else happened. فَجَاءَهُ أَبُو بَصِيرُ So Abu Basir came to the Prophet ﷺ. رَجُلٌ مِّن قُرَيْشٍ وَهُوَ مُسْلِمٌ who was Abu Basir? رَجُلٌ مِّن قُرَيْشٍ A man of the Quraysh وَهُوَ مُسْلِمٌ Whilst he was a Muslim. Abu Basir lived in Mecca. And he was one of the Quraysh. He wasn't actually one of the Quraysh. Uh, he was originally from Banu Thaqif, the tribe of Ta'if. But by alliance, he became a member of the Quraysh. He came while he was Muslim and he had embraced Islam. So he fled from Mecca as a Muslim. What happened? فَأَرْسَلُوا فِي طَلَبِهِ رَجُلَيْنِ So they sent two men after him in his pursuit. فَقَالُوا So when they arrived in Medina, they said to the Prophet ﷺ, الْأَحْدَ الَّذِي جَعَلْتَ لَنَا That agreement which you made with us, that he should be returned. فَدَفَعْهُ إِلَى الرَّجُلَيْنِ so the Prophet ﷺ handed Abu Basir over to the two men. So they both led him out of Medina until they reached Dhul Hulayfa a few miles out of the city. So they descended there for a short while. 
eating of some dates of theirs. So Abu Basir had come alone. He had fled from Mecca. His family and his clan sent two men in his pursuit as bounty hunters. So they came and collected him from the Prophet ﷺ and they were taking him back. So on the way back, they went out of Medina, camped at Dhul Hulayfa. There were three of them, Abu Basil, the prisoner, and the other two, the bounty hunters. So they were sitting there in Dhul Hulayfa, eating dates. فَقَالَ أَبُوْ بَصِيرٍ لِأَحْدِ الرَّجُلَيْنِ So Abu Basir said to one of the two men, وَاللَّهِ إِنِّي لَأَرَى سَيْفَكَ هَذَا يَا فُلَانٌ جَيِّدًا By Allah, this sword of yours, I see that it's, uh, it's very good. It's a very good sword. So the, فَاسْتَلَّهُ الْآخَرَ So the other one drew his sword. Pulled it out and began admiring it. فَقَالَ أَجَنْ He said, yes, indeed. وَاللَّهِ إِنَّهُ لَجَيِّدْ By Allah, it's very good, indeed. لَقَدْ جَرَّبْتُ بِهِ ثُمَّ جَرَّبْتْ I have tested it again and again. And in another narration, it's mentioned that he, was pull, he pulled it out and was admiring it. And since he was from the Quraysh, he was from Mecca, and they were enemies of the people of Medina. And who were the main tribes of Medina? Osan Khazraj. So he, he was admiring it and saying that one day I will fight with the Osan Khazraj and I will strike them with the sword from morning till night. So he was admiring it and Abu Basir was leading him on saying, yes, indeed, it's very good. فَقَالَ أَبُو بَصِيرٌ Then Abu Basir said, once he had puffed him up and filled him, he said to him, أَرِنِي أَنظُرْ إِلَيْهِ Show me. Show me the sword, let me have a look at it. فَأَمْكَنَهُ مِنْهُ So the other one handed Abu Basir the sword. فَضَرَبَهُ حَتَّى بَرَدْ So he struck him until he became calm. Meaning he killed him. وَفَرَّ الْآخَرُ Literally, فَضَرَبَهُ He struck him حَتَّى بَرَدْ Until his body became cold. وَفَرَّ الْآخَرُ When the other one saw this, he fled. But the prisoner killing the bounty hunter. So he fled. He didn't wait. And he fled in the direction of Medina. فَدَخَلَ الْمَسْجِدِ حَتَّى أَتَى الْمَدِينَةِ Until he came to the masjid. فَدَخَلَ الْمَسْجِدِ uh, He came to Medina. فَدَخَلَ الْمَسْجِدِ So he entered the masjid. At that time the Prophet ﷺ was in the masjid. فَدَخَلَ الْمَسْجِدَ يَعْدُوا So he, came, he entered the masjid running. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ حِينَ رَآهُ So the, Allah's Messenger وسلم, said when he saw him enter the masjid running. لَقَدْ رَأَى هَذَا ذُعْرًا Indeed, this one has seen something of great fright. فَلَمَّنْ تَهَا إِلَى النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ قَالَ So when he reached the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, he said, قُتِلَ وَاللَّهِ صَاحِبِي By Allah, my companion has been slain. He's been killed. وَإِنِّي لَمَقْتُولُ And I will, also, I will also surely be killed. فَجَاءَ أَبُو بَصِيرُ So Abu Basir came from behind him. فقال, then he said to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, Ya Nabi Allah, O Prophet of Allah, قَدْ وَاللَّهِ أَوْفَ اللَّهُ ذِمَّتَكَ By Allah, Allah has fulfilled your agreement, your responsibility. Allah has fulfilled your duty. I, قَدْ رَدَدْتَنِي إِلَيْهِمْ For indeed you return me to them. 
Then Allah delivered me from their clutches. Now the Prophet ﷺ was in a bit of a predicament. So the Prophet ﷺ said, The Prophet ﷺ said, Alas, his poor mother, referring to Abu Basir. Alas, his poor mother, Mis'ara Harb. He is an igniter of war. لَوْ كَانَ لَهُ أَحْدٍ If he had anybody with him. فَلَمَّا سَمِعَ ذَلِكَ So when Abu Basir heard this, عرف, he knew, أَنَّهُ سَيَرُدُّهُ إِلَيْهِمْ That the Prophet وسلم, will still return him to the pagans. فَخَرَجْ So he left Medina. حَتَّى أَتَى سِيفَ الْبَحْرِ Until he came to a place called سِيفُ الْبَحْرِ Which was actually near the coast. So it's to the west of Medina, near the coast of the Red Sea. Qal, the narrator says, what did he do? Abu Basir went and camped there, all alone, in the middle of the desert, all alone. Abu Basir. In the meantime, what happens? Qal, the narrator says, and breaks away. So whilst all this, all this is going on in Medina, and in Dhul Hulayfa, round about the same time, Breaks away. Who breaks away? Minhum. minhum. And breaks away from them, meaning the Quraysh, Abu Jandal ibn Suhail. Abu Jandal, the son of Suhail ibn Amr, and the same companion who came shuffling out of Mecca and who threw himself in his shackles and in his fetters before the Muslims whilst the treaty was being concluded. And he was a son of Suhail ibn Amr. He was mentioned in the hadith earlier. We covered it two, three weeks ago. So Abu Jandal ibn Suhail, he was taken back by his father and shackled again and placed into severe restrictions. But somehow he managed to break free. And having broken free, he fled Mecca. And it said that he didn't flee Mecca alone, but he brought with him 70 others. وَيَنْفَلِتُ مِنْهُمْ أَبُوْ جَنْدَلِ بْنُ سُهَيْلِ And breaks away from them the Quraysh, Abu Jandal, the son of Suhail. فَلَحِقَ بِأَبِي بَصِيرِ So he learned about Abu Basir, so he didn't go to Medina. He with his group of 70 came and joined Abu Basir radiallahu anhu, who was also joined by others, until it's not mentioned here, but in other narrations, eventually there was a good group of 300 of them camped. They had set up a complete camp at Sif al-Bahr. فَجَعَلَ لَا يَخْرُجُ مِنْ قُرَيْشٍ رَجُلٌ قَدْ أَسْلَمْ So it's, it, it became such that no man who embraced Islam came out from the Quraysh إِلَّا لَحِقَ بِأَبِي بَصِيرٍ Except that he would go and join Abu Basir. حَتَّى اجْتَمَعَتْ مِنْهُمْ عِصَابَةٍ Until there gathered of them a large group, Isaba. As I said, about 300. For Allahi, so by Allah, ma yasma'una bi'irin, they would not hear of any caravan. Kharajat al-Quraysh ila sham of the Quraysh that had come out to trade towards Sham, illa atardu laha, except that they intercepted it. Faqataloonhum, so they slayed them, wa akhadu amwalahum, and they took their riches. Fa'arsalat, so what happened? Since they fled Mecca, they couldn't go back to Mecca. 
They couldn't go to Medina because the Prophet ﷺ was under, under the obligation of the treaty to return them. So they became rebels, renegades. And they were under, they, they neither belonged to Mecca nor did they belong to Medina. So they were a law, well, they were a group under no regulation and bound by no treaty. And they considered themselves at war with the Quraysh. So they set up a camp and they intercepted caravans and looted the caravans. And they, in this way, they harassed the Quraysh. So the whole purpose of the Quraysh, one of the purposes of the Quraysh agreeing with the Prophet ﷺ, the truce of Hudaybiyah, is that they could also lay down their arms and their passage from Mecca passing to the side of Medina on the way to Sham, which was their main trade route, and that had been blocked between the six years from the time of Hijrah till the Hudaybiyah, that trade route could now be opened up again. So, it was a vital source of trade for them, it was their livelihood, it was a lifeline, bloodline for them. So the whole purpose of the treaty was lost, because now this group, although the Muslims of Medina were not intercepting the trade caravans and blocking their way to Sham, it was this group of Abu Basir, Abu Jindal and others. So they were utterly frustrated, so they actually sent... A delegation to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَأَرْسَلَتْ قُرَيْشٌ إِلَى النَّبِيَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم. So the Quraysh sent word to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. تُنَاشِدُهُ بِاللَّهِ وَالرَّحِمُ Pleading with him in the name of Allah and in the name of family ties and blood. لَمَّا أَرْسَلْ That he indeed sends. He does nothing but send word. It doesn't mention what. Send word to who? to Abu Basir and Abu Jandal and the others, to disband and to come to Medina. And they said, look, we will, we agree to the abrogation of that part of the treaty too. And you can call, we don't want them here, and you can have them there in Medina. But for we beg you in the name of Allah and in the name of our family ties, do not leave Abu Basir and his gang at Sif al-Bahr. So... I say gang because the word isaba means gang. So do not leave this group in Sif al-Bahr. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he received word and the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, many of them actually commented that we now see the wisdom of the treaty of Hudaybiyah. That at the time, which, which part, not just the whole part, not just the whole treaty, but... The Prophet ﷺ actually handing over or agreeing to hand over Abu Jandal, the son of Suhail ibn Amr. At the time we were filled with rage. But now we can see the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ. That he handed over Abu Jandal. And afterwards from Medina he handed over Abu Basir. Ultimately... They, the Quraysh, weren't a torment for them. They were a torment for the Quraysh. And now the Quraysh are begging themselves that take them. So the Prophet ﷺ sent word, a letter to Abu Basir and because he became the Amir. And it said that Abu Basir an, he was at the camp and others joined him. So Abu Jandal an, wasn't the first one to join him. 
But he was the most prominent one because the others joined Abu Basir radiallahu anhu. So he was their Amir. And he used to lead them in Salah as well. When Abu Jandal radiallahu anhu arrived, Abu Basir remained the Amir, but he gave over Imamah to Abu Jandal radiallahu anhu. Abu Jandal radiallahu anhu would lead all three of them, hundred of them in Salah. But Abu Basir remained their leader. Allahu Akbar. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sent a letter. It says that Abu Basir radiallahu anhu, possibly because of an injury he sustained, Abu Basir radiallahu anhu was actually on his deathbed when the letter arrived. And it's mentioned in one narration that when the letter arrived, Abu Basir radiallahu anhu lay on his deathbed reading the letter of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, calling him to Medina, and he, his soul departed from this world with the letter of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam clutched in his hands. That was Abu Basir radiallahu anhu. So Abu Jandal radiallahu anhu and the other sahaba radiallahu anhum, they buried him there. And they prayed Salatul Janazah over him. And then they made their way to Medina. <coughs> then after that, فَمَنْ أَتَاهُ فَهُوَ آمِنْ And the Quraysh also said, that so whoever now comes to him, the Prophet ﷺ from Mecca, not just that group, but anyone. So anyone, everyone's free to leave from Mecca now to Medina. فَهُوَ آمِنْ So whoever comes to him, فَهُوَ آمِنْ He will be safe. فَأَرْسَلَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ إِلَيْهِمْ So the Prophet ﷺ sent word to them meaning Abu Basir, Abu Jindal and their group. فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى So Allah the Exalted revealed. And then the Hadith mentions another verse. وَهُوَ الَّذِي كَفَّ أَيْدِيَهُمْ عَنْكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ عَنْهُمْ بِبَطْلٍ بَكَّةٍ مِنْ بَعْدِ أَنْ أَظْفَرَكُمْ عَلَيْهِمْ حَتَّى بَلَغْ Until he reached الْحَمِيَّةَ حَمِيَّةَ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ The bigotry. Bigotry of the days of ignorance. Again, what ha- uh, often this happens in the hadith that only part of the verse is mentioned. So the full verse, actually a set of verses quite long. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَهُوَ الَّذِي كَفَّ أَيْدِيَهُمْ عَنْ It's a verse of Surah Al-Fatih. وَهُوَ الَّذِي كَفَّ أَيْدِيَهُمْ عَنْكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ عَنْهُمْ بِبَطْنِ مَكَّةٍ مِنْ بَعْدِ أَنَا أَثْفَرَكُمْ عَلَيْهِمْ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ بِمَا تَعَمَلُونَ بَصِيرًا هُمُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا وَصَدُّوكُمْ عَنِ الْمَشْرِدِ الْحَرَامِ وَالْهَدْيَ مَعْكُوفًا أَنْ يَبْلُغَ مَحِلَّهِ ولولا رجال مؤمنون ونساء مؤمنات لم تعلموهم أن تطؤوهم فتصيبكم منهم معرة بغير علم ليدخل الله من يشاء في رحمته ليدخل الله, من يش... ليدخل الله في رحمته من يشاء لو تزيلوا لعذبنا الذين كفروا منهم عذابا أليما اجعل الذين كفروا في قلوبهم الحمية حمية الجاهلية فأنزل الله سكينته على رسوله وعلى المؤمنين وألزمهم كلمة التقوى وكانوا أحق بها وأهلها وكان الله بكل شيء عليما صلى الله سبحانه وتعالى سيز It is he, Allah who restrained your hand from them meaning from the Quraysh and their hand from you. This is ultimately what the narrator says here, or what the Sahaba anhu say here, is that these verses, which are part of Surah Al-Fatih, were to do with part of the truce of Hudaybiyyah and the aftermath. And so what's Allah speaking of here? Allah says, it is He, Allah, 
who restrained your hand from them and their hand from you, even though he gave you superiority and victory over them in the valley of Mecca. And Allah was watchful over you. This refers to, uh, once I translate all the, uh, the whole verse, it might become clearer. They, the Quraysh, are the ones who disbelieved and who prevented you from al-Masjid al-Haram and who prevented the sacrificial animals from reaching their destination. And if it wasn't for believing men and believing women that you, do not know, that you did not know and that you would have trampled on. And had you trampled on them, then you would have been sinful, meaning a sin would have befallen you, or a crime, or a tragedy would have befallen you because of these believing men and believing women. But had these believing men and believing women been distinguished, or had the unbelievers been distinguished, distinct from the believing men, and in between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لِيُدْخِلَ اللَّهُ فِي رَحْمَتِهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ Allah does all of this so that he may enter into his mercy whomever he wishes. If they, i.e. the unbelievers, were separate from the believing men and believing women, then we, Allah says, we would have surely punished those who have disbelieved. A painful punishment. Then Allah says, this is when those who disbelieved, they placed in their hearts bigotry. Which bigotry? The bigotry of pagan ignorance. Then Allah sent down his serenity, his tranquility, upon his messenger and upon the believers. And he bound them with the word of taqwa, which is la ilaha illallah. And they were more deserving of the word of taqwa and worthy of it, more worthy of it. And Allah is all-knowing of all things. The verse is difficult to understand just by the translation. What this whole set of verses means, and this is why the Sahaba have mentioned this verse here, is that when the Prophet arrived at Hudaybiyah, and as we learned, his camel Qaswa sat down, the Sahaba said, it's become obstinate, it's become difficult. Prophet said, it's not become difficult, and nor is it the character of Qaswa to become difficult. Rather, Rather, the one who restrained the elephant has restrained Qaswa. Meaning, it sat down by the command of Allah. And the reason was it was symbolic. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa wanted to show, that if they had carried on on that occasion, they would have eventually met up with the army contingent that had come out of Mecca, and there would have been a battle outside Mecca. This battle would then have led to their possible battling within the city. And had they battled in the city, and the Sahaba were enraged, and understandably so, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says... They are the ones who disbelieved and prevented you from al-Masjid al-Haram and they prevented the sacrificial animals from going forward to their destination. 
But what does Allah say? If it wasn't for believing men and believing women that you do not know and who you would have trampled. And because if you, and if you had trampled them, then a crime would have befallen you, a calamity would have befallen you because of the believing men and believing women. What this means is, if you had carried on to Mecca and a battle had taken place, there are in Mecca believing men and believing women who have kept their faith secret. And you would not be able to distinguish between them. Had a battle taken place, these innocent believing men and believing women in the heat of the battle in the commotion within the city, they would have been harmed and they may have been trampled. Because you do not know who they are. This is why. And if you had trampled them, what would have happened? Then, a calamity, a sin would have befallen you because of these trampled, innocent Muslim men and women of whom you are unaware. So what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do for the protection of the innocent, believing men and women who were still in Mecca? Allah spared the people of Mecca the punishment. Allah kept you away from the city of Mecca too, so there was no pitch battle. And Allah ensured that despite the lopsidedness, despite all the apparent disadvantages, that journey to Mecca did not end in violence, rather it ended in a truce, which appeared disadvantageous to you. But eventually, even the wisdom and the victory of the truce became apparent to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum later. And that's that's what the companions say here, that, Regarding this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, وَهُوَ الَّذِي كَفَّ أَيْدِيَهُمْ عَنْكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ عَنْهُمْ بِبَطْنِ مَكَّةِ That it is He, Allah, who withheld your hand and restrained it from them, the Quraysh, and who restrained and withheld their hand from you in the valley of Mecca, even though He had given you victory and superiority over them. So this is how that journey ended in A peaceful truce, which indeed was lopsided and appeared to be extremely disadvantageous, but ultimately worked in the favor of the Muslims. And uh, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say later, uh, in the second part, uh, towards the end? If you trample them, a misfortune would have befallen you because of them. But, if the unbelievers were distinguished from the believers... If they weren't mixed up with them in the city, but there was a clear distinction between the believers and the disbelievers, then we would have punished the unbelievers. But because they were all together in the same city, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spared them. Then Allah says, and when the unbelievers on that occasion, what did they do? جَعَلَ الَّذِينَ the unbelievers placed in their hearts a bigotry. Which bigotry? The bigotry of ignorance. So the hadith explains. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So 
the hadith goes on, حَتَّى بَلَغَ الْحَمِيَّةِ حَمِيَّةِ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ Until he, he reached الْحَمِيَّةِ The words in the verse of the Qur'an that the unbelievers placed in their hearts. Bigotry, the bigotry of ignorance. وَكَانَتْ حَمِيَّتُهُمْ So what was that bigotry? The hadith explains. وَكَانَتْ حَمِيَّتُهُمْ And their bigotry was أَنَّهُمْ لَمْ يُقِرُّوا أَنَّهُ نَبِيُّ اللَّهِ That they did not accept that he was a prophet of Allah. Meaning at the time of the writing of the treaty. وَلَمْ يُقِرُّوا بِبِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ And nor did they accept or allow بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ at the beginning of the treaty. If you remember, Suhail ibn Amr, what did he say? First of all, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, he refused to accept, said, Right, Bismillahumma. Then he said, This is what Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah, has agreed. Suhail ibn Amr said, No, no Rasulullah. Right, Muhammad, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. So that's a reference. So their bigotry was that they did not accept and allow that he was a prophet of Allah. Nor did they accept and allow, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And furthermore, وَحَالُوا بَيْنُهُمْ وَبَيْنَ الْبَيْتِ Their bigotry was that they came in between the Muslims and the house of Allah. With this we reach the end of the hadith of Hudaybiyyah. I'll end with just one thing, which is, quickly, we call this commentary of the hadith, the truce of victory. And indeed it was a truce of victory. Because... As the Sahaba radiyallahu anhu, there are many narrations where Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Jabir ibn Abdullah, Al-Bara ibn Azib radiyallahu anhum ajma'een, all of them clearly say, in differing words, that you consider victory to be the victory of the conquest of Mecca. But we, we consider victory to be the truce of Hudaybiyah. The Sahaba radiyallahu anhum considered that to be the victory. And Allah revealed Surah Al-Fatih, on the return journey of the Prophet ﷺ from Hudaybiyah to Medina. And even though no one else could see it at the time as being uh, a thorough victory, they couldn't see everything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed the Prophet ﷺ. And then gradually, in varying degrees, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum began to see how the truce of Hudaybiyah was a victory. And indeed it was a victory. It was a truce. It appeared to be so disadvantageous to the Muslims. It filled the Sahaba radiallahu anhum with rage. And it filled our eyes with tears when we read and heard the account of Abu Jandal radiallahu anhum. How he was carried away by his own father. Again in shackles and fetters. How lopsided the whole treaty was. How the Sahaba radiallahu anhu prevented from the house of Allah. How they refused to accept uh, Rahim, the title of Rasulullah. How they blocked their passage to Makkah al-Mukarramah. Or everything that happened. And yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it a victory. And how was it a victory? So many things happened. The truce of Hudaybiyah opened the doors for many things. One. As we learned from the hadith, Abu Basir, Umm Kulthum bint Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt, she set the precedent and the example. She was a virgin, unmarried, a young girl. She was a young girl. She wasn't a middle-aged woman, or even a young woman. She was actually a, a young girl. Not a child, but an adult, but a girl. 
Subhanallah, she did hijrah all along. And her brothers went to fetch her. And when she arrived in Medina, the Prophet ﷺ married her to Zayd ibn Haritha, his one-time adopted son. Umm Kulthum and the others, Abu Basir, Abu Jandal, once they had emigrated, the doors opened for women to emigrate to Medina without the threat of being returned. And eventually the Quraysh said, take the men as well. So now people were free to travel from Mecca to Medina. And that's why even Khalid ibn al-Walid, Amr ibn al-As, during that period from the truce of Hudaybiyah to the conquest of Mecca, which was about not too long thereafter, just, just over two years, just under two years. What happened then? In that period, many people began traveling from Mecca to Medina. They began meeting with the Muslims because there was a truce, there was no fighting, there was no hostility or conflict. This resulted in Muslims meeting. Quraysh going to Medina. Muslims traveling peacefully to Mecca, if required. Meeting with family members. Quraysh trading. Going to Sham. This was after Abu Basir and others were called to Medina. It wasn't long. When these non-Muslims began meeting with the Muslims, in peace, conversing with them, observing them, watching them. The truth is, many of these Sahaba, they didn't embrace Islam because of debate and dialogue. Although that was one of the reasons, dialogue, not debate. Most of the Sahaba who embraced Islam, before this as well as after, was because of their observance of the Muslims. Their behavior, their etiquettes, their manners, their conduct, their character, their love and sacrifice for Rasulullah their iman, it shook them, it made them think. Khalid ibn al-Walid radiyallahu an traveled from Mecca to Medina in that period of the truce of Hudaybiyah because he was shaken. The charge of elephants, the charge of steeds on the battlefield, the clashing of swords and the landing of spears and the dust of battle never shook Khalid ibn al-Walid. But the akhlaq, the manners, the conduct and behavior of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum shook him to his core. He couldn't understand it. He left peacefully from Mecca to Medina. And his best friend, Amr ibn al-As, he also left, but from somewhere else. And they happened to meet on the, on the way. And they both came to Medina. They embraced Islam. So the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, many of them who embraced at that time, they got to see the Muslims. That was one of the greatest benefits. And many people embraced Islam. So imagine, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. why was it the truce of victory? Think of this. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam at the age of 40 received the revelation. 13 years of hijrah, 13 years, lunar years, he stayed in Mecca. Then he traveled, he did hijrah. 
until the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, how many years was that? Another six. So 19 years after the revelation of the Qur'an. In 19 years, how many Muslims joined him to go for Umrah at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah? Approximately 1,500 Sahaba. These were men and some women. Of course, there were Muslims still in Medina. But how many traveled with him? 1,500. He requested the other tribes to join him. They refused, as I've discussed before. That was 19 years. After the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when did he return to Medina? In the month of Dhul Hijjah. In just under two years, 22 months later, in the month of Ramadan, when he traveled to Mecca for the conquest of the holy city, how many Sahaba عنهم, did he travel with? Armed. 10,000. So in 19 years, 1,500 companions were available to him to do Umrah. And within 20 months, 22 months, and preparations were from before, within two years of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, 10,000 fully armed Sahaba عنهم, joined him for the conquest of Mecca, including Khalid ibn al-Walid and others. That was one of the benefits. The, that's why it was victory. The truce of Hudaybiyah was a victory, was a truce of victory. Another great opening for the Prophet and the Sahaba عنهم, was that during that truce, the Prophet وسلم, immediately began dispatching letters to Muqawqis, the great one of Alexandria, on behalf of the Byzantines, to Heraclius, to Kisra, Khosros, to Najashi in Abyssinia, he began dispatching letters and emissaries to different empires. The Quraysh, after Abu Basir radiallahu passed away and Abu Jandal and others were called to Medina, the trade route became open. We completed the hadith of Heraclius a few months ago. And we learned then that because of the truce of Hudaybiyah, after a break of six years, the Quraysh were now able to send a caravan of trade in peace to Sham. And Many, in fact, there was no household in the whole of Mecca that had not invested in that trade caravan. And they sent Abu Sufyan with that trade caravan. He had 30 leading members of the Quraysh with him in the trade caravan. They traveled and they were in Gaza. That's when they were summoned by Heraclius. So after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, Heraclius received the letter. He summoned Abu Sufyan and that was the beginning. As Abu Sufyan himself says, that Allah then first entered Islam into my heart until slowly I came to be convinced that it was the truth. So even Abu Sufyan, because of the Hudaybiyah Treaty, his heart opened up to Islam. His heart opened up to Islam first in Sham rather than in Mecca because of his experience with Heraclius. These were the some of the benefits, and of course there were many more, but the Sahaba radiallahu anhum considered the truce of Hudaybiyah to be a truce of victory.
and it was a watershed in Muslim history, in world history. This is what really mattered. And two years later, Mecca was conquered. Two years after that, approximately, the Prophet ﷺ left this world. And also, after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when the Sahaba returned to Medina, one of the events that took place was that the Prophet ﷺ marched on Khaybar. And he only took with him those Sahaba who had joined him in Hudaybiyah. So only those who were with him in Hudaybiyah could march to Khaybar with him. And many of you may recall in a few years ago, we did some hadith. And as part of that hadith, the distribution of the lands of Khaybar was mentioned. And I mentioned then that there were 1,800 shares of land. So the lands of Khaybar were divided into 1,800 shares. Why 1,800? And I mentioned then as well that there was one share for infantry, one, two shares for cavalry. And there were 300 cavalry. So there were 1,200 infantry, that's 1,200 shares, and there were 300 cavalry, and they got two shares. So what's the total number of shares? 1,800. But the total number of people were 1,200 infantry and 300 cavalry, 1,500. Who are those 1,500? The same Sahaba radiallahu anhum who went to Hudaybiyah. So they were taken to Medina, well, when they returned to Medina, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa What happened? Why do I mention this? Because the Prophet sallallahu another benefit was now the rest of Arabia raised their heads and looked at the Prophet sallallahu a bit more seriously. Because they said, when the Prophet sallallahu left for Hudaybiyah, and he asked the Bedouin tribes around Medina to join him, <coughs> what does Allah say of them? سَيَقُولُ لَكَ الْمُخَلَّفُونَ مِنَ الْأَعْرَابِ شَغْلَتْنَا أَمْوَالُنَا وَأَهْلُونَا فَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَنَا يَقُولُونَ بِأَلْسِنَتِهِمْ مَا لَيْسَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ I commented on these verses before, that soon the, those Bedouin who have been kept behind, they will say to you, we are unable to join you because we are preoccupied with our families and with our wealth, our estates, our property. <coughs> but, فَاسْتَغْفِرْلَنَا, please seek Allah's forgiveness for us on our behalf. They say that with their tongues, which they do not believe in their hearts. These were the Bedouin that the Prophet ﷺ asked to join him for Hudaybiyah. But they refused and they made excuses. When the Prophet ﷺ came back, initially they didn't make excuses. Because Surah Al-Fatih, when was it revealed? On the return journey from Hudaybiyah. So these verses are from Surah Al-Fatih. So that means these verses were revealed... After the Prophet ﷺ came back from Hudaybiyah on the return journey. But the, he had asked the Bedouin before and they had refused before. So what had happened is he had requested them to join him, but they refused. But they didn't make excuses then. They just said, we aren't coming. We don't want to come. They just refused outright. No explanation. They refused to join him. 
when he came back from Hudaybiyah, one of the reasons they said amongst themselves that these Muslims are going to the lion's den, they are heading for the jaws of death. And they won't come back. And that's why Allah says, بَلْ ظَنَنْتُمْ الرَّسُولُ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِيهِمْ أَبَدًا وَزُيِّنَ ذَلِكَ فِي قُرُوبِكُمْ وَظَنَنْتُمْ So Allah says, nay, you actually thought that the Prophet ﷺ and the believers with him, they would never return to their families. They said they are going to die in Mecca. So they just said, we're not coming. But when they realized that not only are the Muslims coming back safe and sound, but that the Quraysh were unable to do anything to them, and not only do anything to them, the Quraysh ultimately had to recognize them as a force to be reckoned with, and they had to sign a peace treaty with them. When they saw that, these Bedouin thought, we better go now and make our excuses to Muhammad as to why we didn't join him in the first place. This is why Allah says, Those who were kept behind of the Bedouin, they will come to you. So that's what happened. They came and they said, look, Muhammad, it was, we wanted to come with you, but we were too busy and, you know, we're sorry we couldn't come. Please seek Allah's forgiveness on our behalf. Another reason why they wanted to do this is because they said, if you can't beat them, join them. So the Muslims are quite powerful now. They are on their way to Khaybar. Khaybar was a rich oasis. So they thought, these Bedouin thought there's much booty and plunder there. So let's join them because they are going to get a lot. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, say to them, you can't join us. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, the only ones who can travel to Khaybar are the ones Allah has promised victory of Khaybar. And they were the ones who joined him at Hudaybiyah and returned with him. So only those Sahaba radiyallahu anhum could go to Khaybar. And this is why 1500 of them, and that was the sh- these were the shares that were distributed amongst them. There were many of the reasons for Hudaybiyah being a truce of victory. I end with this. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand the words of Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulihi nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.